Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and I would invite you to turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Pastor Mike will be uh, preaching a portion of these verses in just a few minutes, and we'll remain standing together out of honor for God and his perfect word. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. You may be seated. And in just a moment, we will uh, pray together. Before we do, just a few things to mention. First, uh, giving is a part of our worship at Grace and something that we do regularly and, and generously and sacrificially. So just have that in mind. You can um, give in the back or online as well. And uh, we just want to remind ourselves of that as we gather on Sunday mornings. And then secondly, as we pray right now, uh, we're going to be praying for Dan Martin and Alan Weisenberger, who are uh, returning to Turkey. In fact, I just got word someone grabbed me before I came up here and said they just landed in Istanbul. So uh, they're there, and uh, we will uh, we'll pray for them as we pray now. So let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your grace towards us, for your sovereignty, for your love. We're thankful that even though sometimes we can't see through all the details of our lives and things might even seem to be chaotic or out of control, it's not that way to you. Everything is, is coming from your hand. Everything is under your sovereignty. Everything is working towards your purposes, which is your glory and our good. So we thank you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you so much for these verses that we've just read. Uh, Lord, we see ourselves in Ephesians 2, and we know that we were born dead in sin, rebels against you. Um, but for those who have trusted in Christ, Lord, we, we know that it's because of your work in our hearts to make us alive, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace we have been saved. And so, Father, we praise you and thank you. Everything that we have and everything that we are is the result of your grace. And so we worship you and thank you. Lord, we confess, even this week, many, in many ways we have turned aside from your word. We have failed to trust you. We have loved idols and chased after them. We have uh, just uh, blatantly disregarded your word, or even in our ignorance, uh, turned away from you. And so, Lord, we know our need for the cross. We want to come together this morning as your people to the foot of the cross again and acknowledge that we need Christ. We need his blood that was shed for us on the cross. We need the, the power of his life raised from the dead in glory. We need uh, the forgiveness that can only be found in him. So, Lord, I pray that you would Give us peace this morning as we rest in Christ. We know that he is good, and we want to be satisfied in him as the one uh, who is all that we need. Well, there's also lots of things that we want to pray uh, for uh, within the body here. Lord, we want to lift up to you those who are sick and suffering at grace. There are many and more than we probably even know who are struggling in a whole variety of ways. And so we bring them to you, Lord. We know that you know the details of all of their lives. We pray that you would sustain them and hold them up and that you would even draw them to yourself through the trials that they're enduring. We want to thank you for uh, the various teams that either have gone or are going uh, on short-term uh, missions. We pray for Dan and, and Alan specifically as they're now there in Turkey. We, we just want to lift up the time that they're there and ask that you would uh, bless their work. Pray that as they're meeting practical needs, you would open doors uh, for the gospel as well and that they would be a bright light. Uh, for Christ while they're there, and that they would be an encouragement to the people they interact with. Pray for other uh, various teams, the, the RADs getting ready to go to Japan, Aiden Van Eck planning for his uh, summer uh, mission of, of doing outreach camps and preaching the gospel, or we just uh, we lift them up. We pray that you bless them as they prepare to go. Father, we're thankful for this morning to be together. We're thankful for your grace towards us. Thank you that you have made us a people who are united and one in Christ, and it's uh, it's all in his name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.
Amen. On the subject of worship, A.W. Tozer wrote, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers who meet together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be. Were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship? It's grace that God commands us to sing together, church. <laughs> it's his grace because as we sing these truths, they meet us in different places. And to some, they bring comfort. And to some, they drive home a conviction of, of new ways that we need to respond. To some, they bring courage. And as we, as we stand together, we're going to stand again here. We're going to sing some words that are powerful. And we, and we sing, be still my soul and know this peace. The merits of your great high priest have bought your liberty. And we'll, we'll express our confidence in Christ. And we make it a, a prayer. And we make it an encouragement one to another. So join us as we sing. Stand with us. And we'll sing, now why this fear? Sound of saving grace 
trembled, the sun bowed its head. The veil of the temple was open for man. As Jesus went down in the cold of the grave, defeated the darkness when he overcame. The keys of the kingdom were placed into hands of children and priests and of fishers of men. Through all generations, his voice will be heard. Creation reads out the victorious words. It is finished. It is done. To the world, salvation comes. Hallelujah. We're proclaimed it is finished and we thank you that that has a reality for us that means that we can walk in peace with you lord that we can walk with courage because you've already broken through death and paved a way to the father lord thank you let your church glorify your name this morning with praise and with our response to the word we pray this in jesus name amen you may be seated Good morning. We come today to one of the greatest verses in the Bible, Ephesians 2, verse 4. Unlike your news feeds, this is full of actual good news. Good news isn't good news unless you know what the bad news is. And good news without the bad news is no news. Bad news makes you long for the good news. In our home group last Sunday night, one of our members said, I can't wait to get to verse 4. Because Ephesians 2, 1 to 3 revealed the pre-conversion bad news, the realities that were true of every believer. You were dead in your sin and deceived in your sin. You delighted in your sin and you were doomed in your sin. The terrifying truth, the unrepentant without Christ are children of wrath. That all in Adam, unregenerate, deserve God's condemnation and eternal punishment in hell. And yet, the good news is he has chosen to rescue those chosen from before the foundation of the world. That all who put their faith in Christ are no longer children of wrath. And we wonderfully see in Ephesians 2.4, which tells us that we are alive in Christ by the mercy of God. It's the best news ever. It's the best. It's, it's the idea that God decreed to bring the believer from death to life. Believers know that mercy. 
It's fact, it's not fiction. It's real now with no pretending. So much right now in our world is trying to get us to believe lies about ourselves and others, live a lie all day long and make people acknowledge it. So this is really refreshing, okay? This is true. It's true right now. It's been true forever, and it will be true forever. As verses 1 through 3 really had us relive, uh, the painful part of our salvation story, really now what we see is a display of God's perfect patience. We rejoice in this testimony of the gloriousness of God's grace and his magnificent mercy. What chapter 2 is doing is emphasizing God's actions towards us, that God's power to, to all who were dead in trespasses and sins, those who were deserving nothing but wrath, that we stand accused of all of our sins, and we live in these sin-scarred tents and on this sin-stained globe. But verse 4, you know, hits like, like a sunrise after a storm. The gospel appears in verse 4. But God. But God. Ephesians 2.4 tells us, Christians are alive in Christ solely by the mercy of God. And what it does is it illustrates, this one verse illustrates the eternal contrast between us and God and his character and the cause of his mercy to us in Christ. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. The fact that his power was operating before we believed. That God makes the spiritually dead spiritually alive such that we would join in the theme of all creation, the entire universe, to praise God's glorious grace in Christ. But we see this eternal contrast. But God, verse 4, but God. One of the most important words in Scripture is but. It indicates a contrast. We were children of wrath, but God. And what I love is the fact that the Holy Spirit had Paul keep his hearers waiting for the subject and main verbs here. That there were, the, the subject and main verbs were not in verses 1, 2, and 3. It's in verse 4. So here he is retelling the grave danger that they had been in, in verses 1 to 3. And then the subject appears in verse 4, just bursting onto the scene. You can almost hear the explosion with the words chosen. One commentator, one of my favorites, S.M. Baugh, said this about this verse. I've got to share it with you. The grim, plodding, hopeless, long-syllabled announcement of human lostness, dead in trespasses and sins, children of wrath by nature, is shattered by a lightning bolt from heaven. Not in judgment, but with intervening mercy and love beyond all reckoning. Praise God. You get three lines of bad news followed by the crisp, short, speedy, good news syllables, but God rich in mercy. But God rich in mercy. It's like a siren piercing the silence or the wild cheering from the row behind you at a graduation ceremony while others are sitting quietly. The contrast is startling. We were dead, but God. And I understand it. I understand what the Bible means when it refers to God as merciful. Well, you need to realize 
that you deserve only condemnation. Romans 3 tells us all have sinned. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. I mean, people love to talk about God's mercy and grace. People love to talk about his expressions of love for sinners. But that is meaningless unless you understand your wickedness. If you do not know the depths of your fallenness, you are going to start to think you are owed or do not need mercy. Your sin is cosmic treason against God. And until you have a clear view of God's holiness and his hatred of sin and the judgment you deserve, you cannot see the greatness of his mercy. See, you must know the bad news about yourself as a condemned sinner before you can receive the good news of the gospel. The contrast, it's, it's but God, black and white, day and night, wrong and right. We were lost, we were hopeless, like refugees you know, dying in the Mediterranean Sea with no one to rescue them. But God, he will not leave those he chose to rescue from the foundation of the world in their misery. He will not do it. Those who are dead in Adam and unable to respond to Christ, God performs a resurrection, a regeneration, so that you desire to believe and be saved. And it's all because of God's self-motivated decision to act. That those he regenerates believe in Jesus and follow him in dependent, repentant, world-defying discipleship. We, we live in an upside-down world. We're dizzied by depraved indifference. But this verse tells us God had a sovereign plan. You are not self-made. You are not hand-built. That Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith and that everything in salvation is due to God. Plan before time began, that God saw your dead misery, acted on your behalf of his good pleasure, planned before time began. This, the only response is love Jesus. Love Jesus and praise his sovereign plan, his, his merciful plan. Praise him for his mercy. That he provides you everything you need. He is not trusting you to perform here. It's good news for today. It's good news for you who feel the heavy burden on your shoulders. No, God's mercy lifts the heavy burden from your shoulders. I mean, we, we are in a world, and, and we have hearts that are full of bad news. And, and God is the good news of the gospel. And, and, and what we're finding is God does not ignore your sin, but his mercy is seen in his choice not to hold your sins against you if you repent and believe. Praise his glorious grace in Christ. That the eternal contrast is, is night and day, black and white, wrong and right. And, it, and it, it shows his character. It shows the eternal character of God, but God being rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. It, literally, since he is rich in mercy, mercy is compassion. Mercy is pity. It's the emotion that's roused by someone in need. It's the act to relieve them and remove the trouble. 
where God alleviates the misery sin brings. Mercy is that special and immediate regard to the misery, which is the consequence of our sins. And what mercy does is make the suffering less severe. If you're a Christian today and you think, I'm suffering badly, imagine what it would be like if you did not have the mercy of God directed at you. Mercy makes the suffering even easier to endure. That God, the Father of mercy, is rich in mercy, abundant. God's mercy is his all-powerful attribute. And what he does by his mercy is he wills and then brings about the deliverance of sinners out of the misery of their sin. It's how we're redeemed, it's how we're justified, delivered, sanctified, freed, forgiven, preserved, and one day glorified. Mercy. Mercy is God applying his pain reliever to you. We we need God's mercy. The burden of man's curse has fallen upon the entire creation, Romans 8 tells us. And the guilt and power of sin must be removed if we would have our misery alleviated. Go with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 describes justification by faith. And in Romans 3, and and there's some key scripture passages really that tie in mercy. So we're going to start here in Romans 3. Pick it up with me at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That word propitiation points to mercy. In Exodus 25, speaking of the tabernacle and describing the tabernacle and one key piece of furniture there, the Ark of the Covenant, at the top is the mercy seat and cherubim at either end. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was the place of mercy that God met his people at the mercy seat. This is how a holy God could dwell with a sinful people. This is how a sinful people could approach the holy God and not be destroyed like Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10. But the mercy of God turns away anger. It's the act by which God's wrath is turned away from us. Psalm 85 pictures it. Lord, you forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. One day a year, sacrificial blood offered on the mercy seat satisfied the wrath of God. Leviticus 16, the annual day of atonement. Satisfaction was made by means of a substitutionary sacrifice. 
that pictured satisfying God's wrath in Christ. The connection we see here concerns the Greek word used for the Hebrew word for mercy seat. It's translated propitiation in the New Testament. So in Romans 3.25, it's picturing Christ and his work of redemption, his perfect wrath-satisfying sacrifice on our behalf. He went to the cross on our behalf. In John chapter 20, Mary Magdalene arrives at the empty tomb. She sees two angels sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. In Exodus 25, two carved angels were at either end of the mercy seat. There's the connection. The mercy seat in the, New Testament, in the Old Testament, the blood sprinkled on it by the high priest, it was prefiguring Christ. That Christ sacrificed himself once for all, was buried, and then rose again, promised to return. First John tells us, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God meets us in Christ. That Christ is our mercy seat. That God desires to meet with his people. That the blood of the perfect, spotless lamb of God is the only means by which that is possible. God reveals his mercy in Christ. He anoints him to be our merciful high priest. Hebrews 2.17 says he had to be made like his brothers in all respects so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to show the mercy. He understands our condition. He knows what you are going through. He saw and he endured it all at the cross. So Christ now mercifully intercedes for his people on the basis of his shed blood at Calvary, on the basis of his mercy. So we hope, Christians hope, and it's a, it's a living hope, it is a sure hope, it is not wishful thinking, it is, it is guaranteed. We hope and trust in God's mercy that our comfort is found in the unchanging mercies of God. Christian, your comfort is found in the mercy of God. Think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who prayed, oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Proverbs 28 tells us, the one who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but the one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We need the mercy of God. The nature of the revelation which God has granted to us by his grace, the scriptures picture an all-merciful God. He is all-merciful. The Lord is merciful. It is who he is. When he described himself, revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6, he says this, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This mercy is evident in his forgiving those who repent and believe in Jesus. Psalm 111 tells us he is full of compassion. But how often is it easy to not really be sure who God really is? To kind of make things up about God and we think we know but we get him wrong. See, God is not part mercy. God is mercy. God is everything you would hope mercy could be. 
that he is that kind of Lord to us. And I am very thankful, and I hope you are too. He is merciful. Psalm 119 says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. That great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, great in mercy. His essential character, his essential nature is mercy. There is never a moment when he is not merciful. Our mercy quotient ebbs and flows. There is never a moment when God is not merciful. And mercy holds back what we deserve, holds back the wrath of God that our sins deserve. This verse tells us he is rich in mercy. The psalmist said in Psalm 86, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love. Has said, it's also translated mercy and loving kindness. You are abounding in steadfast love, mercy, loving kindness to all who call upon you. Romans 10 tells us there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on those who call upon him. Romans 2 4 says, Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance? And patience, not knowing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? The mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. There was never a time when God did not burn with desire to deliver and bless his children with his mercy because his mercy is great. It's above the heavens, it's abundant, it's rich, it's plentiful, it's otherworldly. And he comes to rescue us in the person of Jesus Christ. That God the Father showed mercy on us when he sacrificed his son on the cross to pay the price for our sins. His character. Verse 4 says, being rich in mercy. But God, being, that's literally, I am. He is mercy. He is rich in mercy. It's abounding. It's wealthy of mercy. You airdrop God anywhere in the universe, he is mercy. Mercy is like a warm blanket on a bone-chilling night. Mercy is sweet comfort in a time of pain. Mercy is being given a new lease on life. Mercy opens the door and paves the way for grace. Mercy holds back what we deserve, the wrath of God, so that grace can give us what we do not deserve, God's favor. The mercy of God is only understood rightly against the backdrop of his perfect justice. Isaiah 30 says, The Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. God's wrath was totally just. His just wrath was rightly aimed at us. We justly deserved wrath and death. And the king, the king of all, mercifully gave us life. It befits a king to be so compassionate. Earthly kings come and go. 
Some are cruel, some are merciful. In AD 68, merciless Nero died a noble death, being forced to commit suicide. Kings come and go. Just yesterday, there was a coronation. It was Britain's Charles III was crowned king on Saturday. Westminster Abbey, in, in an ancient ceremony, there was a, a, a grand procession. These words, Your Majesty, as children of the kingdom of God, we welcome you in the name of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus. And the king replied, In his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. The choir saying, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. At one point, the archbishop said to the king, Will you, to your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all your judgments? And the king replied, I will. Only God knows. And yet, the king over all saw your suffering, and in his goodness and in his loving kindness, decided to rescue the perishing who brought nothing but sin to the table. Because the most powerful is the most merciful. Some people see mercy and feel nothing. Some people feel hatred when they see mercy, like Commodus versus Maximus the Merciful in The Gladiator. You should love mercy Christian, that alleviates your sinful misery. You should love it. That Jesus alone can cleanse your soul and conscience. Jesus alone can turn away the wrath of God from you because he is our propitiation. He is our mercy seat sacrifice. Jesus Christ offered himself for us, turns away the wrath, cleanses us of sin, cancels the debt, brings us into the presence of God, blameless and accepted. Christian, can you think about that? Can you think that that's your identity? Can you believe that that's your identity? In Daniel 9, we read this, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. David, after his heinous sin, cries out at the beginning of Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. If that's you today, confess your sins to him. Believe that Jesus Christ will remove God's wrath against you, and you will be saved. This eternal contrast, God, mercifully, his character is mercy. He does this in mercy. He saves in mercy. He rescues in mercy. He blesses in mercy. And the reason why he does it, his love. It's his love. You wonder why he shows mercy to lost sinners? This verse tells us because of his great love with which he loved us. Eternal love, active love, choosing love. That, that Jesus does this because of his great love. Not for anything in us, 
The only thing we contribute is the sin that made our salvation necessary. Our self-righteousness was filthy rags. But God, but God, he's rich in mercy. He did it because of his great love. Agape love, that's benevolent love. And, and that word, agape, is deep. It, it doesn't mean doing what the person loved wants you to do. But what the one who loves knows is needed. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We weren't asking for him. He gave not what we wanted, but what we needed. God knew our need. God in love does what he knows is best for us. He doesn't do what we desire or demand. Agape is God's covenant choosing love. In the Old Testament, it's hesed, it's loving kindness. And it's like, it's God saying, I will love you though you don't deserve it. I will love you even though you're unworthy. I will love you and I will keep reminding you as I lavish my love upon you. He initiates his love toward us. In Jeremiah 31, he says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. He pours out of God this great love from the eternal and perfect love of the Trinity toward one another. God's love toward his elect is his sovereign choice that every believer, elect of God, regenerated by God, being showered with love unmerited, indiscriminate love, purposeful love, God's willful, conscious, eternal decision to set his love upon you in a saving way. If you're a Christian today, it's because God, before the foundation of the world, decided in his choosing love to set his love upon you in a saving way and in his perfect time show you mercy. Extend his mercy. In Romans 9, we read a quote from Exodus, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Some recoil at that, you should rejoice at it. It means that God in his sovereign good pleasure did not choose to set his love upon Esau, but choose to set his love upon Jacob. Israel is called the beloved of God. Deuteronomy 10, the Lord set his heart in love upon your fathers, chose their descendants after them. It is the, ac the active exercise of God's covenant love resulting in the believer's fixed status as being loved forever. If you're a Christian today, you are loved forever. There's never going to be a moment when his love wanes for you. There's never going to be a moment when he says, I'm taking the mercy away. The wrath is going to come full force on you. There will never be a moment. Lamentations 3 tells us this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God will keep showing unmerited love and mercy to unworthy subjects. This is why he says to the, uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.4, we know, we know without a doubt, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. It's a merciful love that saves, not according to our actions, either in real time or foreseen ahead of time, such that you can feast on the abundance of God's love that you can feast on God's amazingly lavished love. 1 John 3, 1 says, see, 
Like, taste and see how good God is. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. No longer children of wrath, children of God. And that is what we are. God has shed his love on us. Dear Christian, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 3, describes your relationship with Christ. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. The whole story of Scripture is God's merciful love to entirely unworthy people to display his glory. God loving his people with an everlasting love in spite of their overwhelming unfaithfulness that we cannot keep covenant He always does. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. This is God's love in stark contrast to people's hatred. That despite all you have done, God still loves you and will love you forever. As Hosea 14 says, I will love them freely. I will love them freely. That God will keep every covenant promise that he made from Genesis 3.15 onward to the end of Revelation 22. That his self-sacrificing love is rooted in his unilateral covenants. That he says, I will remember my covenant. I have made an everlasting covenant. So you get to Ezekiel 37 and the valley of dry bones coming to life. That's because of his covenant of peace. That, That new life comes due to God's lovingly merciful action towards those who do not deserve it, do not merit it, could never earn it. Isaiah 63 says, in his love and in his pity, he has redeemed them. Love for the unworthy displayed at the cross. At the cross, greatest display of this merciful love. At the cross, the sinless son of God laid down his perfect life for sinners without merit. That's agape. There's your agape love. Romans 8 tells us, now nothing can separate the believer from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Titus 3 tells us, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, when Christ came on the scene, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, his own mercy. And the cause of his mercy is his great love. It's the reason why, it's the motive. Love is the locomotive engine that drives the machinery of mercy. It's the driver, it's the power, where God shows mercy to someone even actively opposing him what he did with the Apostle Paul on the way to Damascus when he gave, when he gave him mercy. Paul tells his, his testimony later, and he says that he was powerfully driven off his horse. He was blinded. He was saved. And he says, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Your situation, apart from Christ, is utterly and hopelessly desperate. See, mercy is given only to those in such desperate situation who know they can't help themselves and they know they lack the capability to earn or pay it back. And when you, when you know yourself 
to be in that state, you, you beg for mercy. But isn't it easy? It's hyper easy to take God's mercy for granted. To go about your life bitter. To go about your, your day unfeeling. To go about your life not thinking about how your words or actions affect other people. Many who profess to believe in Jesus live like this. That maybe your heart has become calloused. Maybe you're fooling yourself. Repentance is the answer. To turn away from your sins, aware of and contrite of your sins, and turn to Christ who is merciful. Thomas Watson put it this way, mercy is not for them that sin and fear not, but for them that fear and sin not. He said, to sin because mercy abounds is the devil's logic. Puritan Thomas Hooker was on his deathbed, and he had a visitor who told him, Thomas, you are now going to receive the rewards of your labors. And he replied, Brother, I am going to receive mercy. All those who receive the mercy of God gain a merciful heart. All those who receive the mercy of God must choose to be merciful, not judgmental. You know, we're never told to give grace. That's God's work. But mercy is a communicable attribute of God whereby we are told to show mercy. We are told to imitate God. We must imitate our Savior's mercy. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said, for they shall obtain mercy. The, the citizen of heaven must never be merciless or cruel. That we need to feel compassion for the misery of sin upon others, that we should be moved by the plight of widows and orphans and the poor. That we should help in their hunger and lack. But if you go out today and you go show mercy to someone out on the streets, but you can't look with eyes of mercy on those in this room, you're faking it. You need to be merciful. You'll have a merciful heart. You'll be able to be merciful to your family and to your neighbors and to your friends and to your coworkers and to your teammates and, and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be able to look in this room and say, I am a recipient of mercy and I am going to show mercy. That you ought to love others by showing mercy. I think it's, it's amazing the depth of love that you can experience when you realize that in your salvation, God mercifully did it all. It throws your judgment out the window. Mercy is why you and I can show mercy. That you have tasted God's mercy. That you love mercy. That you delight in receiving mercy. Therefore, you show mercy to all. That he who believes in the Son because of his love has eternal life and has passed from death to life has been shown mercy. So you say, I've been spared. How can I ease others' suffering? How can I pray for them? How can I bless them tangibly? Because mercy 
drives compassion for those in need. It's helpful to see what's going on here. See, believers are being encouraged with this verse. Believers are being even challenged knowing that this world is not an easy place to live as a Christian. So here's strength for your soul. It's all mercy. Christians are alive in Christ solely by the mercy of God. You were dead, but God being rich in mercy, made you alive by his power, because of his love. You might think you've blown it. So badly there's no hope for you. Dear Christian, may I tell you that you are richer than a king due to the rich mercy of God. We are kings. We are, because Christ let himself be treated unmercifully, stricken and afflicted, as Isaiah 53 tells us. And God saw his sacrifice and was satisfied so that we could receive mercy. He took it for us at the cross. He took it for us at the cross. If that's the case, and if I've received mercy, there's nothing left to fear. You've been spared from the most terrifying outcome of falling into the hands of the living God. There's nothing left to fear. But God, eternal contrast, he had a good, sovereign plan. Being rich in mercy, his eternal character, moved with compassion to show mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, his, the eternal cause, the, his motive, his active choosing love such that you and I can love Jesus and praise him for his, his merciful plan, such that you and I can love his mercy that alleviates our misery, our sinful misery, and such that you can love others by showing them mercy. If your soul is burdened today, if you're worried, if you're anxious, feeling like you can't keep holding on because you feel like you keep trying and trying and all you get is failure, look to Jesus, the merciful one, and realize you are floating on a sea of mercy. The good news without bad news is no news, and the good news here is that mercy triumphs over sin. Some of you be blessed today by the abundant mercy of God, the great love of God in Christ, every day that he grants. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are rich in mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you lavish your compassion and pity upon those you love, despite our utter sinfulness. Lord, may, may you bless your people today with your abundant mercy as we float upon the sea of your mercy that never lets us down. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we sing in closing. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. 
Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Well, love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Sins they are many, his mercy is more. What patience could wait as we constantly roam? What father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weak. The vilest, the poor Our sins, they are many His mercy is more Praise the Lord His mercy is more Stronger than darkness New every morn our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What riches of kindness He lavished on us. His blood was the payment, His life was the cost. We stood neath the debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Yes, our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Okay, just a few announcements before we go. There's going to be a quarterly men's event on June 10th, 8 a.m., uh, preaching, fellowship, breakfast, and sports tournaments. VBS is coming June 19th to the 23rd. Sign-ups are open. It's for kindergarten through sixth kids entering those grades. Uh, Sign-ups are open, and I know there's a boatload of kids already signed up, so get signed up. Uh, summer calendars are available after the service out on the plaza with a bunch of upcoming summer events. Uh, I want to welcome uh, some new members. We're always having new members, and I think, I think one of them is in the service, this service. Uh, Sophia Shera, are you here? Right there. Raise your hand so everyone can see you. Come on. We should, should I have everyone sit? No, okay. That, she's the baby of our five kids, so there you go. 
And then uh, Rose and John DeSico. Rose and John? I think they come to third hour. So, okay, we'll see them next time. But here's the deal. If you don't know who I'm talking about, say hello to everyone here and you will find them. Okay? All right. There's also a welcome lunch on uh, the 21st of this month on the plaza for those new to grace and want to learn more, meet some of our leaders. And then one, there's plenty of ways we can show mercy, but one tangible way is to make some care packages for people that you could have in your car when you find someone in need. So there's some ingredients out on the plaza to do some of that. So feel free to do that. Uh, Let's close with Jude, a few verses in Jude, very end of Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me.